Welcome back. I'm Catherine Besnes, and today we're having another Money Minutes for Doctors all around an issue that's very, very important to many of our doctors, and that is how are they going to afford putting their kids through college? So I'm welcoming back my very wonderful guest, Denise Thomas, who's known as How to Get Kids Debt Three Through College, and she's a coach on that. So welcome back, Denise. Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me on. I'm so looking forward to well, helping these doctors um, put their kids through college without the debt that they had. It's such a major thing. I would say huge numbers of our doctors and particularly our dentists have gigantic student debt. The dentists, it's not unusual for them to have 750,000 and the doctors maybe 250 or 300. And it's hard for them to be putting their own kids through school and they're still paying their, off their own dental and medical school debts. True, true. So Denise has got a fantastic story we talked about in a previous episode, which we'll link there. And she figured out a way to put not one, but two kids through school debt-free. And she's now kind of turned that into a course that she's been very kind to offer to our doctors at a discount. So I will include a link below and I hope um, many of them will reach out to you. Awesome. Yeah, one of the things I find that is, well, we, we've been believing a lot of things today in the last probably three decades actually, that are simply not true. And I think it's, I think the hype from some of these beliefs comes from marketing from colleges or from uh, banks who are loaning this money out, you know, they have an advantage to get you to spend this kind of money. But the truth is 75% of college students are paying 56% of the sticker price. What that means is what you see, you do not have to pay. Those who are actually paying that kind of money, either they want to pay it, or they really don't know that there's an option. Well, exactly. And our doctors are really busy, but it's time to wake up because this can save you tens of thousands of dollars and maybe even more. Easily. Yeah. And now at our last interview, which we did some months ago, we talked about how to maximize PSAT scores and SAT scores because that has a big impact on how much students will qualify for. And today I had some other things that I wanted to talk about on how to make students more attractive to the school of their choice and therefore get more money. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Students, we wanna get a merit-based scholarships. Well, I know it sounds kind of crazy that, well, if they're looking for merit, isn't it the grades and the test scores? Isn't that the big deal? Yes, grades will always be important. It's actually the most important part of the college application, the grades and the test scores. Now, as far as test scores are concerned, I have a lot of parents asking, well, but aren't test scores optional now? Okay, let me backtrack on those test scores for just a quick moment. Before what I call the COVID year, about 10% of colleges were test optional. The reason they were test optional was not because oh, some students don't test well. They have great grades, but they don't test well. No, they're not doing it for you, trust me. One of the main criteria in the college rankings that people like to quote is average incoming student test score. Now, answer this question. If test scores are optional, who's not turning them in? Right. The kids with crappy scores, okay? Right. The only ones that are going to turn them in are those who have scores in the top 25% or so. That 
automatically lifts up their average incoming student test score. It's a game. You just have to learn how to play this game. Now, during COVID, a lot of colleges, almost 50% instead of 10% went test optional. The reason they did this is because both ACT and College Board were really not ready to deal with all this online testing thing. The platforms weren't ready. They had all kinds of messes going on. And some students just didn't have access to even take care of that. Sure. So this was a nice thing to do. Make it optional so kids could still apply and we'll look at the rest of the application. Fabulous. Now, a lot of those schools are changing those policies as things get back to normal. So know that, for, first of all. But also know test scores are still important for merit-based scholarships. So even though it may be test optional at the schools your child wants to apply to, don't think for a minute that they're not looking at those scores for scholarships. It's still important. So test score is very, very important. Overall grades really important. But what about extracurricular activities? So they may not be as important, but I know they're still important. They can make a big difference. What do you recommend there? It does make a huge difference. And back in the day when I was in school, probably when you and some of the people we're talking with were in school, colleges were looking for what we used to call the jack of all trades. Dabble in a little bit of everything and you're golden. Little sports, little music, little community service, little bit of everything. You can think of it, throw it in there. Today, that is the equivalent of being the master of nothing. So what they're really looking for is who are you? What floats your boat? What gets you up in the morning? What puts that spark in your eye? And for some of our kids, that might be hard to figure out. Right. Right? I mean, some kids just excel at everything academically. You can't even point them in a direction for STEM versus something else because they got A's. Okay, well, that's cool. Now what do we do, right? What do you do for a living? And with activities, it can be the same way because they're not giving us any hint. They're just going about their day doing their thing, but I'm not seeing a, you know, a spark. Sometimes as parents, what we really need to do is pay attention. It's not that you're not paying attention to your kids. You are. But I mean, really hone in on, wait a minute, usually Johnny's got a phone in his hand or a computer, but when we were doing X, Y, Z, he was all in. Notice those little changes. Because what colleges are really looking for is that one thing that tells the college, where do you fit into the campus community? See, colleges, Catherine, are looking for three things. How do you fit in or how are you going to contribute to the campus community? What kind of an alumni are you going to be? And are you going to pass and graduate? That last one, that's your grades and test scores because that is also part of their stats, right? They, they need that graduation rate. That's important. But when it comes to your activities, what that tells them is, where do I plug you in when I'm trying to figure out a diverse campus community? Some universities have 300 or more clubs and organizations on oh that campus. Gosh. Wow. So they've got to fill those clubs. Right. So if your child has been playing chess since he was nine years old, 
started his chess school at his high school, maybe chess club, maybe he's president of the chess club, then you've just told the college, oh, he's probably going to be part of the chess club. It's not that hard to figure out. But how you show that on the college application is by having that one activity show up in more than one area. Now, a college application looks a little bit like an employment resume. Right. It's different, but it does look a little bit like that. It has sections or categories, honors and awards. And honors and awards, a lot of people seem to think, it's, that's academic, you know, that's being in the, you know, the National Honor Society or the National, you know, I don't know, Spanish Society or whatever. Yes, but it's also anything where your child was chosen out of a group of other people for whatever it is that they were chosen for. For example, it could be a competition. Maybe they're, maybe they, maybe let's use that, that uh, chess Maybe they went to chess competitions and they won, came in for second or third. Great, that goes on there. But maybe it's not that type of thing. Perhaps they auditioned for a pre-professional art school and got in. That goes in there. Another one of my students, it's not an audition, but applied and was chosen to be a counselor for the Billy Graham Crusade. Oh, interesting. And anything. for a student, that's pretty interesting for a young student. To anything be that they are chosen out of. Yes. It, think, think about how that looks. Right. right? Leadership, leadership quality is a passion for, for something. So, um, you know, let's take the, the student that's a skier. They've been skiing since they were really little. Maybe they did a ski club. How can we position this student? Um, well, as I said, there's multiple areas in this application. So you've got honors and awards. So if there's any kind of competition, take part in it. Same. Try to at least play somewhere so you can put it on there. But it's okay. It's okay if it's, you know, participant. Did this, participated. Activities or list of extracurricular activities. So that's where they're actually maybe learning. Maybe they're, they're under some tutelage for this particular sport. Right community service, volunteer work. Maybe they're teaching other students Bingo. how to scheme or underprivileged children or whatever. Think of a skill. Any, you could do a weekend skill workshop for free for some organization for your community. Ah, interesting. Be creative. And love this one. How about getting paid for teaching others whatever this is that you do well? Right. Think of a, and of course, skiing wouldn't work for summer camp, but do a week-long summer camp or do a winter camp for five days and get paid for it. I had one student who was a ballroom dancer. She had been ballroom dancing since age nine. By the time she was 16, and she was competing by age 14, but by age 16, she was teaching for pay. Wow. That goes under employment. Uh, Self-employment also rings a few bells right there. Right. There's all kind of opportunity. And as a doctor, as a physician, you may have opportunities for your child to participate in your work, doing the books, making phone calls, whatever. Think of what you might be able to offer your child, whether it's paid or unpaid, for them to be part of your business. It's really an awesome opportunity. 
Don't miss the opportunity. Right. Awesome. That's great. All right. Next question I had, <clears throat> tell us how to get schools into a bidding war with their scholarships, because I know you did this with your daughter, and I thought that was a fantastic thing. So how, how, do, how can our doctors get a bidding war going for their kids? That really is fun, I have to say, and, and I, I do enjoy that. It's probably one of the perks uh, of the job, but um, first of all, you have to showcase your child as more than just a GPA and test score. That application itself, the, the people who are in charge of figuring out, the checking the box that you're gonna come to that school, they are envisioning the impact your kid is gonna have on their campus community. So creating that application package that shows them and says, my kid is freaking awesome. That's step number one, mm -hmm. okay. okay? Now, if they, assuming your child is probably being offered some level of scholarship, make sure that they are also applying to what I would call comparable or equivalent schools. Schools that would offer similar types of things as far as, okay, well, let's say your child is in a, you know, they're in some kind of sport and maybe there's a D2 school and a D3 school. Well, that's not the same thing. It has to be equivalent to some degree so that you can bargain with one school saying, look, um, we got offers from these two other schools or maybe just this other school, but my kid really wants to go to your school. And your offer is just a little shy of what the other one offered. And I'm just kind of wondering if maybe there's some wiggle room. Mm -hmm. There are opportunities to do that. But it, you do have to be comparing apples to apples right? Uh, for that type of a scenario. But I'm telling you, it is sweet when you've got colleges calling the house saying, what can we do to get you to come here? It's a blast. Fantastic. And when they do that, it's not just about free rides and scholarships, no. but I'm sure it's other things too. What are some of the other things that you could ask for during that process? Books. Books mm -hmm. can get kind of pricey. Yeah, nowadays particularly, yeah. I've seen books being offered. Um, I've seen computer, a new laptop being offered. Uh, I've seen campus jobs being offered. Uh, and there's just a myriad of opportunities and possibilities. A lot of colleges and universities that are research universities may have research positions for an assistant. It's another option you could possibly ask for. But another thing I want to explain to our parents is that it doesn't stop with the letter that is offered. You're gonna get that one letter that says, you've been accepted, yay, and everybody jumps up and down for joy. Okay, well don't jump up and down until you see the bottom line, because to me, that's the most important thing. All right, because the truth is no one really cares about the name on your diploma. Right. Seriously, I, I, I know that there are people who believe to their core that their alma mater is the best school in the entire world, and they got all kind of perks after college because they have that name. Knock yourself out. It's just not true. <laughs> There's enough studies that prove it. Okay. I mean, and look, let's think about it. When you go to a doctor, do you ask, oh, um, what school did you graduate from? Right. Never. Never. <laughs> Never. Never. The only thing I want to know is, is my insurance going to cover it? Yes. Right? 
are you on my insurance plan? That's it. Right. So if you think about it from that perspective, you have to realize that we have more than 4,000 four-year colleges and universities in the U.S. Choose the college list from the colleges that want you. Right. Okay. That's really important. And they could want you for a lot of reasons. It may be your grades and test scores, or it may be your demographics. For example, if a family lives in Florida, for example, I live in Florida, you know, a college in Colorado might need some kids from Florida. So think a little bit outside the box. Right. So there's a lot of different ways to look at diversity. So I think that's absolutely. Awesome. Let's circle back to about GPA. We talked about a little bit about that in our opening comments and how can our students maximize that? Because obviously they're higher their GPA, the better they're going to be doing on these scores. What do you think? You know, this is another topic that high school counselors are not telling our kids or the parents for that matter. And I learned it from personal experience when I was growing up. Having this experience changed the trajectory of my brothers and sisters going to school. Here's the deal. We hear a lot about GPA, AP classes, honors classes, taking dual enrollment, all of that. Colleges are looking for GPA and course rigor. You do not have to take 15 AP courses to make this happen. Oh, Two or good three is plenty. Two or three, that's really good. Two to or three know. is Those plenty. It's taking a lot or really burning a lot it's, of money. They are, they are burning out. Yes. They don't have, look, every AP course you can bank is going to cost your child minimum of three hours of after school work. Ouch. Think about that. You've got kids who just spent eight hours in school at least if they don't have an after-school activity, then they've got, they're probably working till midnight, go to bed, do it over again. How much time does that allow for the extracurricular activities, employment and community service that is also important? Right. Doesn't. When we talk about course rigor, colleges just want to know you're going to pass and graduate. That's it. You don't have to take every course known to mankind. For the AP courses in particular, and we'll circle back around to, to GPA in a second, for AP courses in particular, a lot of parents believe, and counselors as well, that, oh, well, they're, you know, when they get their, take the actual exam at the end of the year, they'll get college credit. Uh, yes and no. Colleges do not accept every single AP course your child took or scored a five in. Interesting. I'm assuming it varies from school to school. Very much so. Duke, for example, allows two. That's it. Right. It takes 15 AP courses and Duke only accepts two. What the heck were you doing? You get it? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. So they're looking for some amount of course rigor to show that you're going to pass and graduate. Another thing to consider with almost every high school, AP and honors courses and sometimes dual enrollment also comes with an extra credit point, an extra quality point for those grades. So an A in an AP course counts for five points on your transcript instead of four. Cool. Why do high schools do this? Because they need to distinguish between all the higher level courses and, and kids 
for valedictorian at the end of the year, right? That's what's important to them. Colleges also know this. So colleges remove all of those extra points. They do a straight GPA calculation where an A is worth four points and a B is worth three, et cetera. Wow. So here's how this can screw up your kid's GPA and sometimes miss out on scholarships. For me, this is how I missed scholarships for college. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't get a 4.0, an A in all of those AP or higher level courses, then when you, what you think is a four point XYZ is now a three point XYZ. And what if you end up with a B in one of those AP courses? Now it's really a C. A C. It's really important to know this. So it sounds like you could have the student that did what somebody did in my graduating class was that she took all home ec courses. <laughs> the rest of us were, you know, burning the midnight oil in these very, very advanced classes and she's doing home ec. So of course she's getting straight A's. Um, so if, in that situation, if you're doing straight A's in home ec or shop um, versus the student that's doing a couple of AP classes, you could actually have that home ec student be getting higher GPA and getting more money at colleges. It's entirely possible because, you know, most kids are going to take uh, what we would consider to be college level core classes. Now, I will say this, though, many colleges do not look at or score your extracurricular type of, of courses. So your electives, you might be getting all A's in your electives, but if you get all B's in your core classes, English, math, etc., you still got to be because they're not using those A's. So that does happen a lot. Overall though, what's important, if your child is going to take higher level courses, if they're going to take AP courses, make sure that they're taking the courses that they love, that they have an interest in, that they're really gonna enjoy because it's going to be a lot of work. And if you're not into biology, don't take AP biology, take the regular one or the honors one, because it's going to be a struggle if that's not something that's your forte. Right. Well, and I think kids are just way too stressed out today. They're I agree. overworked, overactivityed, over whatever, too much homework, whatever. But the last tip for the day is what about essays? And I'm ah. wondering if nowadays are, are kids borrow, borrowing or plagiarizing essays from the internet and what do they look for in great essays? Can you give us a couple tips there? Well, I'm going to start with, they can smell a parent written essay a mile away. So what that says is this, while it's okay for a parent to edit your child's essay, which if you have impeccable grammar skills, why not? Mm -hmm. Use caution in over editing by changing the feel or the sound, because the way you phrase a sentence may not be the way your child phrases those sentences. Right. It's very important to make sure it's still in their voice. The essay itself, see, by the time your child gets to that point where they're filling out these college applications, most of the time their grades are pretty much set in stone. Their activities, done. So by the time they get to this point, there's only two things that they have control over, the essay and letters of recommendation. Mm. 
So if you look at, again, look at the college application as a resume of sorts, what's missing? That's the question you need to ask your child. What is missing from this list of stuff? Because that's all the rest of it is. That is something that is integral to who you are that you think they should know about you. It should be something that expresses their character or their values in some way, showcases. And again, we're showing, not telling. We're not saying I have integrity. We're not saying I'm, I, I you know, have a heart for the elderly, but we're showing them by our actions in the story that they're creating in this essay. The essay is not a list of things. You've done the list already. The essay is a slice of your child's life, a moment in time, a decision they maybe they had to make, something they experienced that changed their outlook in this particular thing, whatever it might have been. What to not write about is how you won the big game or lost the big game. They read enough of those. It's not special. It's not unique to you. You're not getting anywhere with that. Don't write about a love relationship. Probably not a good idea. Yeah, and who cares? Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's not do that. Use caution with things that might be a little too cliche or, well, everybody's going to write about that. Right. There will be supplemental essays for some college applications. Almost every college application will have something that we call the personal essay, or there may be a list. The Common App has a list of essay topics, but the bottom one is always write whatever you want. That's the personal essay, mm -hmm. okay? And that one, that's why I ask parents and teens, let's not wait until we see the topics. If you know right now, this thing, this moment in time is important to who you are, go ahead and write that essay. It may fit in a category that is an option, or it may just be in the write whatever you want part, and that's right. fine. There's probably going to be some supplemental essays. And another thing that we want to also work through are outside scholarships or private scholarship opportunities, not just the ones coming from the school. Those are also essays. Sometimes you can kind of use your and revamp a little bit your personal essay to fit the category that they're looking for. But here's another cute thing. When the question is, tell me about a mentor or person in your life that had a great influence on you. They don't care about that person, okay? They care about you. They want to know about the student, not grandma. And how it changed them. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, you know, when we interview new people to work at MD Financial, one of the questions I always ask is tell me about a situation in your life. Um, could be in school, whatever work that you had some sort of problem mm -hmm. and tell me what the action was that you took to fix it and what the results are. So we kind of, uh, we shorten that SARS situation action <laughs> response. Very good. And I think that the more people can weave these SARS into their essays, the better. So if you've got two or three things that you're really good at and you want the school to know you're really, really good at, maybe you're a leader and you started two or three clubs, um, that would be something you want to write a SAR about so that Correct. you can put it in your essay and showcase yourself. So situation action response. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely some opportunities to figure that out. And sometimes you might have to look through some other topics and then kind of, oh, well, yeah, that's something that I have experience with that or, you know, but at first try to brainstorm some ideas and make a list. That sounds awesome. Well, I, as always, I appreciate your tips today, Denise. Now, where can our um, clients and our listeners, uh, how can they get a hold of you if they want to know more? The best way is to email me with Denise at getaheadoftheclass.com. Okay, that sounds awesome. And just if they let uh, you know that they are our clients, then they are going to be getting some discounts on the courses that you offer, correct? Absolutely. Okay, that is awesome. So once again, Catherine Vesson is here for MD Financial Advisors. Please take a couple minutes to pass this on to your friends who've got kids in junior high and high school who are starting to get worried about uh, college costs. And don't forget to like us and subscribe on social media. So once again, please take care of yourself, doctors. Be healthy, stay healthy, and prosper.